series through the Apostles' Creed. This, this confession of faith that we have used most Sundays, uh, the majority of the Sundays over our 10 years. This ancient creed, statements of faith, things that we believe, things that we remind ourselves of. And, and so last week was the resurrection. And we spend a lot of time on the resurrection Every Easter, we focus on the resurrection, and sometimes for a good deal of time around that. We talk about the fact that uh, also that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And this Sunday, we find ourselves at the Ascension, which we think of much less and less often, uh, the Ascension. And sometimes we haven't really thought about it that much at all. And my hope is that we actually are able to dive in in some significant ways to see that as we are reminded of it each week, we allow it to shape our lives. Um, I, I, we live in a house that, well, the house is 146 years old. The, the, HV, the HVAC unit uh, is about 23 years old, which is plenty old for an HVAC unit. We're just nursing it along, right? So Tim helps me out a lot, my HVAC guy. I love Tim. And uh, there have been multiple times where he just comes in for a little fix, and there's multiple times where it's like, okay, if, if it's not working, try these things. You know, it's like simple things like make sure the breaker hasn't been flipped and that sort of thing. And, and yet, it, it happens, fortunately, not often enough that I've got just the list in my mind. But it means that if it happens, you know, every six months or so, or when we kick it back on for the, uh, the heat for the first time that year, the AC for the first time that year, I don't actually remember the things that, that I know. When he tells me in the moment, I'm like, of course, yes, I, I will never forget this. And then I think I actually maybe have had him show up when it was just the breaker that had flipped. It was a little embarrassing. And that's the thing. Like, I know. Yes. Yes. And at the moment, I'm like, I'll never forget this. And then even the next time, it's like, oh, yeah, the, just check the breaker. Something simple, right? And, and there are all kinds of things that we come to occasionally in our lives that, uh, that hold this kind of like, oh, I'm not going to forget this next time. And, and then we forget now, the ascension is this thing that it, we don't even give it that much time. It's not like, oh, yeah, the ascension, I'm here, and, and then I forget. It's like, wait, what's the big deal? We confess it every week, and, and yet it, it's not like, again, we were with the resurrection last week. We have Easter Sunday, and it's a big deal every year, right? We, have, uh, we even have uh, Pentecost Sunday that celebrates the uh, Holy Spirit coming, and we're going to uh, be there uh, in weeks to come. We have Christmas that celebrates the Incarnation. We talk about crucified, dead, and buried on Good Friday and, and all of Lent. And, you know, we give those things time. Ascension Day happens 40 days after Easter, and it never falls on a Sunday. And we've probably never, we've never done anything as a church for it. Uh, you probably don't think that much about it. And yet, there's a reason that we have it as a part of our confession as something that's significant. And so we're going to do the same thing this week that we did last week with the resurrection, the reality of the ascension, and then the implications of the ascension. The reality of the ascension and the implications. Yeah, let's pray. We'll look at it. Lord, we ask that you would meet us here in the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of the ascended Lord and shape us and change us that we might step into the truth of the ascension and allow it to affect our lives in deep and beautiful ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The reality of the ascension. Now, what we're talking about here fits into the story of, we, we at multiple points, looking at statements from the Apostles' Creed, we have to be reminded that there is a creator God who made all things, 
the natural world in the way that it's ordered. And he gave us uh, this natural world that science can explain, but he regularly works outside of that. He works in supernatural ways. He's the one who created everything, and so he's able to work in ways that we might have difficulty understanding how he would do that or how that might work. Resurrection from the dead. Um, that's not something that makes sense to us. There, there are uh, many worldviews where uh, the, the fact that God would die on a cross is anathema, right? Like that, that's not something that, that fits with the story of wanting to have power and things to be made right because that is obviously a wrong. Uh, the virgin birth, that's not, we know that's not the way that it works. And so we see God working in ways beyond what we can sometimes explain with it science or our experience. And yet the story that we tell every week, whether it be through the Apostles' Creed or through looking at Scripture and the sermon and the songs and all of it, is that there is a God who is at work and he is doing amazing things. And the ascension is part of that. Jesus, we talked about last week, rose from the dead, physically rose from the dead. He walked around on the earth for 40 days and he interacted with people and he ate and he drank and those who doubted he allowed them to to touch his wounds and and yet he also as he was there physically present his body physically there he was also there in in a more powerful way so that he was able to step into a locked room uh, that he was uh, able to just kind of show up at times and be like oh Jesus is here and he, he, there's something magnificent to his resurrected body that we don't fully understand and that we probably won't fully understand. Not probably. We won't fully understand until he comes back and the resurrection happens for us. And yet there is this clear picture that he physically walked the earth, that people could interact with Jesus in his body. The incarnated Lord resurrected from the dead. He walked around. And so he's with the disciples. And then at this time, with the ascension, we see in verse 9, he's with them. But then, when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, we, we see that he ascends, that he rises, and then a cloud covers him and takes him from their sight. That this happens, and there's a lot of things that we do not understand. So, to be clear, when the Bible talks about the ascension, we... we We are not going to understand everything. There's a picture of him going to heaven, and heavens in the scripture at times used to describe the heavens, the skies, the glory, but it also describes where God is, God in his God's presence. And and we sometimes make this mistake of like trying to connect the two, and we think of heaven, you know, it's the, the picture of the angel playing a harp on a cloud. Jesus rose and he was hidden by a cloud, and and it's uh, it's it's weird and not what's described here. Heaven is where God is, and that's the picture of where he goes. And there is this, this mix of the physical world and the, the supernatural world of God in his presence, reigning and ruling over all things. And there are parts of that that are mystery that we don't understand. And yet we do see this clear picture that the physical Jesus is now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, reigning and ruling. Jesus physically present with the Father for the last 2,000 years. Not something we think about a lot. But that is the clear picture of the ascension, that he is sitting at the right hand of God, sometimes described as walking, standing, 
the, the, the sitting part is, is this metaphorical picture of he is with God at his right hand, reigning and ruling over all things. That is the picture of the ascension. That is what has happened to the resurrected Jesus. Because we've talked about before that when Jesus rose people from the dead, when he raised people from the dead, they went on to, to die. But Jesus is different. Jesus is the ultimate and the final resurrection that he does not go on to die. And that is the promise of the future resurrection. I'm getting ahead of ourselves in the creed. We'll get there. Don't worry. But Jesus, eternally resurrected from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father. So that is what happened. And it's this affirmation. It, it, It just is consistent with the story of Scripture the whole time, that the physical matters. Part of the problem is that we in the church as well has been so influenced by Gnosticism, that, that, that idea that separates the spiritual and the physical world, the sacred and the secular, that, that we think that, that Jesus is just, and God really works in the spiritual and the physical is, is bad or negative. That's not the picture we have here. The physical matters deeply and our physicality matters. And there's an affirmation of our own physicality in both the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. But not only do we need to see what happened there, we also need to understand that it was, it was actually the beginning of a ministry of Jesus. We often think of it as like retirement, right? Jesus did his thing, he taught, and he lived, and he did these miracles, and then he suffered and died, crucified, dead, and buried, and then he rose from the dead, and then he ascended. And that was, that was Jesus, and now he's, uh, he's done his thing. Now, this is actually the beginning Because ascension is not only the idea of of rising to the clouds, it is very clearly a word that is used to describe a king who ascends to the throne. That it is the moment that they they take on that particular role. And, And we don't see that happen a lot today, but we did recently see it with King Charles. He ascended to the throne. It was interesting watching The Crown some number of months ago, like in the 80s. There was all this conversation of, I think it's time now for me, and it wasn't. He had a few years left to go, right? But finally, he, he has ascended to the throne, and it's, it's much more of a figurehead king. That's not what we have here, to be clear. The, the, the biblical picture is he has ascended, Jesus has ascended to the throne that reigns and rules over all things in these beautiful, power, powerful ways, that this is the beginning of his ministry, reigning and ruling the world. It, it did certainly begin with his incarnation and life and death and resurrection, but here we're still just at the beginning. And he's, he's reigning and ruling now. And we get the picture of that in a couple of different places. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and this is what we, we find in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and following, that Paul is praying that the church would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ. This is God's immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. He worked in this way when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. There's this picture of this position of reigning and ruling in beautiful, powerful ways. That is what he ascended to. Not just, okay, I'm taking a break while the Holy Spirit does the rest of the work. No, that's not the picture that we find here. And and I I can't not read from Revelation chapter 1 where John has this vision of the resurrected Lord and he communicates that vision. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 and following. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is a powerful picture of the ascended Lord reigning and ruling. There there is this majestic Poet, poetic language to paint him as the first and the last. He has the keys to death in Hades. He reigns and rules over all things. He holds stars in his hands. This is who God is, ascended to the throne, reigning and ruling. The king, the king, we, we talk about oftentimes, we want the kingdom, we want the benefits of Jesus, righteousness and justice We've talked about this before, that our our culture now that so often rejects Jesus and rejects Christianity and and calls it even evil is the reason that our culture values justice and human rights. And and, and there are great books out there written by Christians and non-Christians alike that that point to this reality, that these foundational, often world-changing beliefs came from a creator God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and to die and be resurrected and ascended for you and for me. And so we're invited to not just seek his kingdom, the benefits of him, but we're to seek him as the king. And there are all kinds of implications then for the fact that he has ascended and now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And I'm going to give four brief implications uh, I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. They're hope in his presence, hope in our position, hope in the mission, and hope for the future. Hope in his presence. This is an implication of the the ascension. The the hope of his presence seems a little bit uh, at odds with him leaving, right? So the disciples are there, and then Jesus leaves. And it seems like, oh, no, wait, This, this, this is not... Uh, what, what we're looking for. We've enjoyed being with Jesus. And we, we like, long to imagine what that would have been like to actually have walked with Jesus as the disciples did. And so they're, they're there and they, they want Jesus. M- Mary's response 
in John 20 to coming upon the resurrected Lord is to cling to him. And he says, cling, don't cling to me, Mary. I haven't yet ascended. And you can understand, certainly you can understand that she would want to be with him uh, more, right? And we can understand our desire for that. And, and yet the reality is that at this, at this time, when Jesus was walking the earth, because he was a physical human being, and because he still is, that part of Jesus is limited spatially, which is to say he's either walking on the road to Emmaus with the disciples, or he's in the upper room behind the locked doors, but he's not in both places at once. And yet now the promise is, look at verse 8, this promise of the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power because the Holy Spirit will come upon you. We know that Pentecost is about to come, that the Holy Spirit will be given to them. He told them this in, in John, that this is coming, that when he goes, that he has to go in order to send the Spirit. That there's something better to come, and, and it's not bound by space, as Jesus' physical body is. So there, I, I, I don't remember the last time that I uh, quoted Augustine, but it, you know, it makes sense today that Gus with us, even as he's in the nursery. But uh, this is what Augustine said. He said, you ascended before our eyes. We turned back grieving. Of course, there seemed loss only to find you in our hearts. That the promise of the Holy Spirit is that there's something even better than the physical Jesus walking with us. That there's this actual, described in Romans chapter 6 and other places, as union with Jesus because of the work of the Spirit that is available to all of us. That he is available to all of us all the time that we have then relationship that is offered. And yes, one day we will physically walk and stand with Jesus, and it will be amazing. But there is still this beautiful promise of relationship with him and his presence happening now, and that the ascension actually leads to that. So that we might continue to pursue relationship with him now. We talk about this almost every week, that, that, that God's work is all about relationship. He is a relational God who wants relationship with his people. And his ascension... And giving us the presence of the Spirit is in order that we might be in relationship with him. And that that might be something that grows more and more. As our relationships with one another grow more and more, the more time we spend together, we can have hope in his presence. The, the second implication that we see is that there is hope in our position. What, what do I mean by that? I, I, we're, we're constantly looking to establish ourselves in our position in this world, right? to be accepted, to be uh, you know, honored, or, or just to, to declare worthy, or in biblical terms, justified. Declared just or right, to be who we want to be, to live up to the standard that, that we have. And sometimes it's a standard that we've created, maybe it's a standard that we've learned from another place, maybe it's a biblical standard. And, and what we're invited to in the Christian story is to live up to a standard that we know we cannot live up to. And we actually can't even live up to the standards that we create for ourselves. We, we just don't. Uh, we, we get upset when other people don't live up to it, but we need grace when we don't live up to it, right? Well, the glory of the gospel is that, that even in our mistakes, even in our messing up all the time, that we can confess, as we do every week, 
and Todd talked about so beautifully this morning, and with a confidence that he forgives us, that he loves us in the midst of that, and that that work is secured in an ascended Lord who reigns and rules. So in verse 6 here, we find that the disciples ask this question that some theologians talk about. There are like three or four heresies included in this question. I won't go into all of those, but Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And they're, they're looking for the kingdom. They have this very uh, specific definition or understanding of kingdom. And it's they want the, the Roman occupation to be pushed out. Uh, they, the Roman Empire there, you know, the, the only times I think about the Roman Empire here when it connects with the Bible. But here, here it, they are uh, with the Roman Empire. Uh, they want pushed out, right? Because they think Israel needs to come to military power and have control, right? And yet, that's not what Jesus is doing at all. He's expanding it beyond Israel. This is what he does by expanding the gospel and the love of God to all people in all time, across all nations, so that the new Israel is the church, and God is working among all the nations and all the people and all the ethnicities, and he's bringing about this alternative kingdom as well. It's one that came through death. It's a cross-centered, sacrificial kingdom that he's doing, and part of that is justification, It's declaring us right before him. This is the real need. It's not military power. It is being declared right before him. It's that we might be justified. And so we have this ascended Lord who is declaring again and again, my people are justified. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's again and again saying, I've got you. You're you're mine. He is there, Hebrews 7, 25, interceding for us. This is part of the work that he's actually doing as the ascended Lord who sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He is interceding for you and for me. What, is that, what does that look like? 1 John 2, 1 says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate before the Father. There's one who is advocating for us. Romans eight thirty four says, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's interceding for us now. He is making a case for us. Uh, uh, You know, maybe you've seen a a movie or TV show that has lawyers in it. I hope you haven't had to experience this yourself and uh, have a lawyer represent you. Lawyers are not bad. We have a few in the room. That's, That's not where this is going. But if you end up in a courtroom and you have to be represented by someone, again, I hope you don't have to have that. But what happens is that the court, the jury, the judge, they often see the lawyer. Your lawyer matters, right? And and oftentimes, uh, how good your lawyer is makes all the difference. And if you don't have a good lawyer, or if you try to represent yourself, you know, the whole... Uh, if you have, uh, whoever is their own lawyer has a fool for a client. Uh, I'm sure I said that incorrectly, but you guys can correct me later. But, uh, but the idea that we need somebody who is capable making a case for us. And if, if we think about this in those terms, we have Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father 
advocating for us and making a case for us. And what is his case for us? His case is, it's finished. It's already been paid. It's done. We, we tend to think, you, you know, it's Jesus is there, and, and he's like, yeah, Pat really messed up again. He's trying. He's going he's gonna to get it next time. Go, Come on, just a little more forgiveness. And, uh, you know, maybe you could overlook this one, and we'll get to the next one. But no, he's saying, it's, it's done. It's finished. I've done the work. It doesn't need to be paid twice. So our position is absolutely secure because he, as the one reigning and ruling, stands for us, bringing hope. This is glorious. There's, there's, there's no better message than this, that the one in power is able to do this. And so then, as a result, we see that there are further implications, and that is that there is hope in the mission. What do I mean by that? Look at verse eight. I've already read the first part, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This echoes the great commission in Matthew chapter 28 to go therefore to to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So there's a couple of the, things that overlap here. There's a mission that we're called to, to be his witnesses. Actually, the word here is martyr. That's the Greek word here. So witnesses is not warrior in the kingdom in that sense. It's that we, we move forward in this cross-centered. Todd, a few weeks ago, preached on crucified, dead, and buried, that we move forward in this cross-centered mission, this sacrificial mission that we want others to know about what is on the table for them justification and position before the Lord, a part of his family declared right that we might have that hope. We're all invited into that, every single one of us. And, and we can have hope in the midst of it because of his presence with us. We see that in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. We see that here because of the presence of the Spirit with us that we're empowered into that mission. And so the question is, what does it look like for us to be a part of that mission? And, and we should be asking that question specifically. And maybe it is, what does that mission look like for me in my neighborhood, in this church, in my family, in my place of work? What does it look like to be a part of his mission? But for some of us, it's going to be, what would it look like for me to be a part of that in a bigger way? So it's college ministry, or maybe it's, to pursue pastoral ministry, or maybe it's counseling, or maybe it's mission. Maybe, maybe somebody in here would consider going and, and even joining one of our teams in Australia or in Romania or going working in New York City. That there are all kinds of opportunities that we might have. Would we, would we even consider what might it look like to be a part of this mission? Might that even mean going somewhere other than where I am? Would we be open to that? The beauty is that we get to invite others into this amazing thing that he's doing only because of the amazing thing that he has done for us. It's not like, I've got all the answers, I've got uh, the good stuff, and so uh, now I need to give it. It's, no, we're, we're getting to join with him and offering it to others because of what he's done for us. I think it was about nine years ago, got, Steph and I got invited to go to uh, New York City uh, on this trip, and we got invited by somebody who was very generous, and he 
we got to go to a meal that we would never have been able to afford, a restaurant that we would have never been able to go to, and then we got to go to Wicked, the musical, and, and with good seats that we would have never gotten otherwise. But not only that, not only did we get these things that we wouldn't have been able to do on our own, we got to invite somebody to join us. And so it was super fun to call our friends, Peter and Jamie Ong, who he was, he was planting a church in Queens. I'd worked with him and we lived in Queens and, uh, and we got to invite them to this meal. Hey, you guys want to go to this really fancy restaurant and go to a musical with us? Um, because somebody else invited us. It was this just small picture of us not having any ability on our own to experience, ultimately, these incredible blessings of the Lord. And then we get to invite other people into it. And we get to with confidence because Jesus is reigning and ruling now. And he is the one ultimately working this mission. Finally, the last implication is there's hope for the future. Verse 11. He's ascended and these Two angels appeared and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. And, and we'll see more of this in the future. But this is, the ascension is, again, just the beginning. And when Jesus returns, he makes all things right. And he's going to prepare something better for us. We know from John 14, verses 1 through 3, that he's preparing a place for us, a place of perfection, of no more crying, no more weeping, no more death. That's what is on offer. That's the promise of what is to come. Jesus is able to do this as the king. And so we can look forward with hope. Even in the midst of things that, that feel like they bring despair, we can look at the world and it, it is discouraging. I mean, we can be honest about that, and Scripture is continually honest about the brokenness around it. Sometimes we feel it in heavier ways than others. And, and, and globally, with the news going on right now, we feel that. And yet there is a promise that even in the midst of that, that God is reigning, and God is good, and God is going to return and make all things right. And this is all a part of the story that he is working. And we can have hope because he now is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And that that is power for us to follow him, to be secure in him, and to look forward to what he will do in the future. Let's pray.